So let me start, listen, we're in chapter 46, if you guys want to get your Bibles out on your phones, whatever, chapter 46, we are, we've got five weeks, everybody say five weeks, we have five weeks left as we travel through the book of Genesis, and then it's Christmas time, right? So let me just start the sermon by saying this, I am a good driver. I'm a good driver, as a matter of fact, I'm fairly convinced I'm a better driver than everybody in here and everybody online. And I'm pretty certain that if I wasn't preaching, I'd be a race car driver. That's how good a driver I am, right? When was the last time you got a reality check? Right? Some of you, it was probably this morning when you looked in the mirror, you know, just being honest, right? Uh, look at standing on a scale, right? There's nothing like having a good solid reality check. Well, I was at work this week on a Tuesday. And if you go to the back of the building and look, There's a carport over there, and underneath the carport, there's six or seven spots. And about halfway through the carport, there's a couple steel posts that are there to help hold the carport up. Well, I parked to the east of of those poles this week. I don't I don't park there, but I did this week. It was the only spot open, and I parked in there. Right? Evening came. It was time to go home. I don't know. It was six thirty, seven o'clock, and I was backing out of my spot. Right? Like a good, listen, like a good person, I was looking to the east, right? Joey says, look to the east, Jesus is coming back, right? So I was looking east, right? And I was backing out of the carport and I was turning my car at the same time. And when I did, I heard this noise I shouldn't have heard. It was the sign of the sound of my front end of my car smashing against the steel post. Because apparently... Reality check, I'm not a good driver. So if you go out there and see my car, you'll see that there's a nice size dent right at the front edge of the front door and the back edge of the front fender that looks a lot like a steel pole in the carport, right? Man, there's nothing like a good reality check. As we've been walking through the book of Genesis, listen, we have dealt with several of those recently. Listen, Joseph got a reality check. Right When his brothers showed up in Egypt after all of those years right, of them throwing him in the well and selling him to the, to the gypsies, right, and then ending up in Egypt, ending up in prison, all that he went through, when they showed up, what a reality check. And what a reality check for them. right? They thought he was dead. They had told their dad he was dead. right? And all of a sudden, they show up and guess who's in charge of Egypt? Joseph, what a reality check. And last week, as we got to the end of chapter 45, listen, Jacob, the father, he got a reality check because the son that he had been grieving after all of those years was alive. Listen, I don't know if you've lost a child, if you've ever gone through the pain of having lost a child. But as a father who's lost a child and having gone through that pain, I can't even imagine what that reality check was like that after 20 plus years of thinking your son was gone, that all of a sudden you find out that your son is still alive. What a reality check for him. And as we move into chapter 46 here in this story, listen, Jacob now has to deal with that reality check because it didn't just come with the knowledge of, hey, I'm still alive, it came with the knowledge that, hey, we want you to move to Egypt and we want you to live with us in the land of Goshen and I'll take care of all of your needs. Remember, we're in a famine. 
two years into this thing. We got five more years of this thing. And so Joseph, Joseph says to dad, come on. Bring everybody you got and come and stay. And so as we get into chapter 46, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just talk about this reality check. And because I love you and I love you, Delane and everybody on the line, I'm only going to preach two points today, right? Reality check. I might be lying. All right. So why don't you guys stand and let's read these seven verses, right? Chapter 46, let's read the first seven verses together of this story. Israel, right? Who was Jacob, right? Set out with all that was his, and when he had reached Beersheba, Scripture says he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Says in Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and his granddaughters, all his offspring. You guys can be seated. So let's talk about this reality check and what he had to go through. Let's talk about it in two ways. Here's the first one. Everybody say this with me. Sacrifices, right? Sacrifices. So the Bible says that Jacob, when he packed up everybody, right, headed to, headed to Egypt, but stopped at Beersheba. Let me give you just a quick map, right? Let me show you so you get a feel for where it's at, right? So as you look here, right, land of Canaan, right, Jerusalem, so you get an idea where Israel is at, right? And so he is leaving Hebron, right, to head down to Goshen, but he stops at Beersheba. Now, if you read through scripture, you'll find out that Beersheba, right, is used in Israelite language to describe the top and the bottom of the promised land. The Bible will constantly say, from Dan at the north right, to Beersheba at the bottom. And so this was a border town, right? Beersheba was the El Paso, if you would, of the promised land, right? The border town before you get in to this fertile, right, Sinai Peninsula and into Goshen, this is where we find Jacob. So what's he doing there? Well, scripture says he stopped to offer sacrifices there, right? To offer sacrifices. This wasn't the first time their family had been to Beersheba. Abraham had been there all the way back in Genesis 21, but more importantly, his father had been there. I want to read that one to you. Genesis 26, Jacob's dad, Isaac, is in Beersheba. It says, from there, Isaac went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Same thing he said to Jacob all these years later, right? Listen to what he says. He said, I'll bless you. I'll increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. So what was Isaac doing there? Well, Isaac... Isaac was in a state of turmoil at the time. And when he got there, scripture says he built an altar there 
and he called on the name of the Lord. When Jacob showed up, it doesn't use that language. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, when people would worship, the language would be they built an altar and they called on the name of the Lord. Why is that important? Because that's not what the Hebrew writer uses here. The Hebrew language in this text is he stopped there to offer sacrifices of sacrifices. A totally different picture. And what every Jewish commentator will tell you is Isaac didn't stop or Jacob didn't stop there to worship. He stopped there to find his dad's altar and to offer sacrifices. So let's talk about sacrifices for a second. Right. Let's talk about it. I'm going to read this verse to you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Right? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Listen to this. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and what? Sacrifice to God. Listen, everybody online, everybody in the land, everybody here in Norman knows this. That if somebody tells you that they love you, And yet they never sacrifice for you. You're going to have a hard time believing that they love you. Yes or no? Yes, of course. Right? Because eventually those words without some sort of sacrificial action, right, leaves you in the lurch. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus loved us. Right? Listen, those words don't mean anything. Those words would have never meant anything. Had Jesus not gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Listen, if you're online to land in Norman and you know Jesus, the mirror, you say amen, amen, right? How many of you are grateful that Jesus' love wasn't just in word, but his love actually came in the form of a sacrifice? Let me hear you say amen, amen. right? So you already begin to understand the power of sacrifice, right? Because if you know Jesus, that sacrifice matters. Listen to the way the Hebrew writer says it. Hebrew says, for Christ didn't enter a man-made building or sanctuary that was a copy of the true one. Scripture says he entered heaven himself to appear for who? For, for who? Us, right, in God's presence. Listen, let me just say this. If you're online in Deland here in Norman and you didn't know this, you didn't know that God sent Jesus to appear before him on your behalf, then listen, you need to know that. Listen, you may think that nobody cares. You may think that nobody even knows who you are. Let me be clear about something. Scripture says that on your behalf, And on my behalf, Jesus appeared before God so he could make that sacrifice. Anybody grateful for that? Yeah. Listen, that's what Jesus did. Now check this out. Right? He didn't enter heaven to offer himself over and over. Right? The Bible says the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Not this priest, right? Jesus would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Anybody in here commit more than one sin since they've been a Christian? Right? And the further you sit away from the center stage, the more sins there are. Let's be clear. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That applied on Saturday night. I'm sorry, I forgot, right? But listen to this. Listen to the power of a sacrifice, right? Listen to the power of a sacrifice. Jesus has appeared how often? Once, let's be clear how powerful his sacrifice is. Jesus appeared once. Say those next two words with me. For 
all, right? You ever wonder why Tomoka goes everywhere and does everything? That's why. Because Jesus appeared once for how many people? All of us, right? He appeared for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice. And here's the thing about that word sacrifice. It's the Greek word thusia, right? And it comes from the Greek verb thuo, which means to kill, right? Let's be clear about how you and I got our sin problem dealt with. Jesus had to offer up himself to be slain, to be killed, so that our sin issue, right, our sin issue would be dealt with. Anybody, anybody this morning grateful for that sacrifice, right? Listen, you get the power of a sacrifice. Listen to the next verse. Check this out. Just this man, and listen, this is why we do what we do. This is why I do what I do. This is the only thing I care about. This is when you get to the heart of why I am here, why I preach, why I lead, why I even care. It's because of this. Because when my daughter asks me, Dad, why do you believe all this stuff? This is the reason I tell her. Just as man is destined to die once, every person, every person, every person is going to die. You know it. I know it. The land knows it. Online knows it. We all know we're going to die. And here's the thing that we don't all agree about. Scripture says that when we die, we have an appointment. It's already in your Google calendar. After that, you have to face what? We believe that. We believe that Scripture teaches that every human being will eventually die and face judgment. Our job is to make sure that you have a chance to be prepared for that moment in your life. Because the only way you're going to pass muster on the day of judgment is your name's going to have to be in the book of life. Somebody say amen. And here's what we know. The power of one sacrifice, if accepted by you, prepares you for that moment. Amen, church? Listen, scripture says it this way in Hebrews 10. Check this out. It says this. Day after day... Priests stand and perform their religious duties, right? Again and again, those priests offer the same sacrifices. Everybody, which can never take away sins. Listen, there's no priest, no pastor, no, no preacher, right? There's no clergy. There's no religious activity that will ever make you right before the eyes of God. Don't care what church you go to. Don't care what religious activities you participate in. There is no religious activity nor priest that can make you ready for that moment by anything that they do. It cannot take away sins. Check this out. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for your sins and mine, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now check out the power of one sacrifice. Since the time of that sacrifice, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Anybody, anybody excited about that moment in time? Yeah, right? But listen to the power of one sacrifice. Because by one sacrifice, he has made... Come on, say it. He's made you perfect. For how long? Forever. So listen, you need to get over this nonsense. Yes, in the practice of your faith and mine, are we perfect? No, we're not. But Jesus, because of the power of how many sacrifices? For how many people? All of us. Has made forever perfect those who are being made holy, who are being set apart. 
Anybody grateful for that? Yeah. Listen, sacrifices matter. Jacob stopped at Beersheba to offer sacrifice of sacrifices. He didn't call on the name of the Lord. He didn't build an altar. He went there to make a sacrifice. He was dealing with his reality check. Now let me talk, let's talk about us. Because here's what scripture says in Romans 12. Just so we understand the power and the obligation of that sacrifice. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy. What mercy? The mercy that God would allow his son to die on your behalf and mine. In view of that mercy, here's the the plea. Offer your what? Bodies as what? Living. Thusia. Thuo. Offer your life as something that can be slain. Offer yourself. Why? Because God allowed Jesus to do it for you. So church, the land, online, how you doing? How we doing with offering our bodies as living sacrifices, right? How are we doing with that? Because here's what he says about that. When you do that, that becomes your spiritual act of what? Of worship. Right? Let, let's say it a little bit differently, right? Let's read First Peter, right? Or Colossians, excuse me, Colossians 3. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians 3, right? Is that the next verse? No, First Peter 2. Put that one up, right? Therefore, he says, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He says, like newborn babes, we should crave spiritual milk, so it... So by it, we may grow up in our salvation. Now that you have tasted and you have tasted that the Lord is good. Anybody here want to testify that they've tasted and the Lord's good? Somebody say amen, right? Here's what he says. As you come to Jesus, who's the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Listen to what's happening. You and I, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house To be a holy priesthood. And guess what priests do? We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thusia. We offer things that need to be killed. See, here's the thing. How many of you in here online in delay and love Jesus? Let me hear you say amen. Amen. Listen, Bible says something's going to have to die then. Something's going to have to die. Jesus loved us, so guess what had to happen? He died. He offered himself up as a sacrifice. He allowed himself to be slain. You love Jesus? Then the Bible says in light of that mercy, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Right? Jesus said it a little bit easier when he said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, right? And take up your cross and follow me. Right? Here, here's a little bit, uh, a little bit different view of it, right? Right? Hebrews 13 says it this way, Jesus, therefore, let us, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Listen, part of the reason why we gather together is to take attendance, right? Although we do, right? We put it in the book, right? Just kidding, right? We don't take attendance. You want to know why we get together? So that we can continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Sacrifice of praise. Listen, there's power in this room. You were in it. You've been in it, right? Is there power in this room when we offer God a sacrifice of praise? Yes or no? 
Man, there's power in it, right? He says, that's the fruit, right? That's fruit of lips that confess his name. But then he says this, don't forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You see, here's the thing. Jacob stopped at Beersheba to offer a sacrifice of sacrifices, right? He didn't stop to build an altar and to call on the name of the Lord, right? He stopped to offer a sacrifice of sacrifice. Something in Jacob had to die before he left Canaan and headed to Egypt. Listen, if you know Jesus and you've accepted Jesus today, here's the, here's the simplest admonition the scripture gives. In light of that mercy, you need to begin to offer your life as a living sacrifice. Listen, there's so many people. When we were young, when Joe and I came out of Bible college, literally, literally, we knew everything. At least that's what it felt like, right? And we went to churches. And we preached at churches. And our assessment of most people in churches were, they didn't love Jesus and they didn't care about Jesus. We've gotten older, probably a lot dumber and smarter in some ways, right? But the reality is, here's what we've learned. There's a lot of people who love Jesus. They're just not willing to die for him. And the reality is this, if you want to be a disciple, if you want your life in Christ to get better, the first thing you're going to have to learn how to do is you're going to have to learn how to die to yourself. You're going to have to start offering your life as a living sacrifice. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2 verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer cord that lives, but it's Christ that lives in him and the life that he now lives in his flesh. He is to live by faith in the son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him. That's the admission for every believer, right? To offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Jacob stopped at Beersheba to offer a sacrifice because something has to die. And listen what he dealt with in that. Here's the next thing real quick, right? Say that with me. Two natures, two natures, right? So in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. Do you remember that story? Jacob's getting ready to meet Esau the night before. A man shows up. They wrestle. The man says, let me go. Jacob says, bless me and then I will. Right? The man touches his hip. His socket, his hip goes out of, out of whack. Right? And then the guy says, what's your name? He says, my name's Jacob. And the man says, who we know later to be an incarnation, right? That, that he says to him, your name's no longer going to be Jacob. It's not going to be deceiver. Right? Your name's going to be Israel. He who struggles with God and overcomes. So Jacob leaves that place with a new name. Israel. Now listen to Genesis 46, right? We got, we got a daddy who's reeling from the news that his son that he thought was dead for 20 plus years is alive. He now has Joseph saying, leave the promised land. The very land that God promised to give to your families. Leave that place. Leave it. And come to Egypt. And jo- Jake, Jacob says, I got to something in me is going to have to die for me to be able to do this, right? I'm going to have to sacrifice something so I can, so I can move forward here. And in that space, listen to what God does for him and tell me that you can't relate to this, right? God spoke to who? Israel. Israel means he who struggles and overcomes. Israel's name used to be who? Jacob, the, the, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the liar, right? God spoke to Israel in a vision at night. And guess what he said to him? Say it with me. Jacob, Jacob. Why did he speak to Israel and yet call him Jacob? Because here's what he knew and what you and I need to know. 
that even though his name was Jacob, he had a second nature. And that weaker nature had a name. And that weaker nature's name was Jacob. And so God didn't speak to Israel. Israel had offered sacrifices. Jacob was afraid because he went on to say, Jacob said, here I am. And God said to him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be what? Afraid. Israel wasn't afraid. Jacob was afraid because he had two natures. Let's talk about that for just a second, right? Two natures. You've got one and I've got one, right? Romans 8, right? That's the next passage, right? Listen to this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature does. Leave that right there, David. Listen, we studied it in Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, right? The Bible says they possess the knowledge of good and evil. And God says in Genesis 3, they were never supposed to have it. You, I, those in the land, those online, we were never supposed to possess the knowledge of good and evil. Because here's what you know. Believer or not, Christian or not, a hundredth time here or first time here, here's what you know. Every person listening right now has known the right thing to do and at times hasn't done it. Let me hear you say, amen. And everybody listening in here online in the land has known the wrong thing to do and at times has still done it. Yes or no? So here's what we know. We're not very good with the knowledge of good and evil, right? And the Bible says when that happens, you develop a nature. The Bible calls it a sin nature. You've got your mind set on what that nature desires, right? You, you can relate to this, right? Those, right? Next verse, right? But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. Listen, if you love Jesus, you've accepted him as your Lord and savior, the land online, Ormond. Let me hear you say amen. Bible says in that, in that relationship, the Holy spirit now lives in you. And now you have a second nature. So all of a sudden you have a sin nature and now you have a nature controlled by the spirit. And the Bible says that if you live in accordance with that spirit, your mind is set on what the spirit desires. Check this out. The mind of the sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Listen, when you find church people who stop coming to church because they've slid back into the old ways, last place they want to go is church. People say, well, where's, where's Billy Bob at? He hadn't been at church for a while. My guess is if Billy Bob loves Jesus and he slid back into the old ways, you know what happens? His mind is now hostile to God. Why do you want to sit in worship? Why do you want to be here, right? He says those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So let me be clear to you. When you're talking to your non-Christian friends about Jesus, don't talk to them about morality. We spend so much time talking to our non-Christian friends about morality. Do you understand that non-Christian people don't understand morality because the mind controlled by the sinful nature can't please God? It has no interest. So your, your language about all the more, you, you realize that's just the wrong thing to do. They're not listening to you. They can't even hear you, right? But scripture says this, you, however, are not, are controlled not by our sinful nature, if you know Jesus, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. Right. And if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Right. If Christ is in you, your body is dead. Right. Sacrifice. Thusia. Thuo. Right. You've 
killed it, right? Because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And listen to this. Therefore, we have a what? It's called the debt. And what is it to? It's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you're going to die. But our obligation is to the spirit, right? But if by the spirit you put to... So you talk about what do I have to sacrifice? Listen, let's be very clear. The only thing you have to sacrifice is yourself. Which means you need and I need to understand that the thing that needs to be sacrificed the most in our walk with Jesus is our sinful nature. You need and I need to learn. It is our obligation to put to death our sinful nature. Now listen, those are, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been preaching for 30 plus years. It is hard to preach this stuff sometimes when I know my past. There's been plenty of times in my life I have not put to death my sinful nature, right? It doesn't make it any less true and it doesn't make it any less my responsibility to preach it. It just makes my condemnation at times more evident in the process. But for every one of us, listen, if you're, if, if you're in here and you love Jesus online in the land and you love Jesus, let me hear you say amen. He says our obligation then is to what? It is to live by the spirit nature and put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. So how are you doing, church? How are you doing in that, in that place of sacrifice? Right? Paul describes it this way in Galatians 5. <clears throat> All right? or Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. Here's what he says. Here's how he does it. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one person gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Right? Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last how long? forever, right? He says, therefore, I don't run like a man who runs aimlessly. How many of you are fans of Friends, the show Friends? You know, either you're lying to me or what I said about you might not be true. The Saturday night crowd might be better because they watch Friends, right? Anybody watch Friends? Okay. Thank you. Right. Anybody see the episode where Phoebe ran through Central Park, right? Throwing her hands around. Here's what he said. Don't run like Phoebe, right? Don't run like a crazy person through Central Park. He says, I do not fight like a man who's simply fighting the air. No, here's what he says. I beat my body. That phrase in the Greek means I punched myself in the face under my eye. He said, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Do you think Paul took the fight of sacrificing himself and his sinful nature serious? Yes. How about you? Where are you at today in light of your sinful nature? Right? Paul says it this way, Galatians 5. He says, I say live by the Spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires, that word is the word lust, right? The sinful nature lusts for what is contrary to what the spirit wants. And the spirit lusts for what is contrary to the sinful nature. He says those two are in conflict with each other. So you don't know 
what you do. Listen, everybody in here relates to the two nature thing. If you know Jesus, right? If you know Jesus online to land in here, say, I do. Do you, and can you relate to the two struggles? You have a nature controlled by the spirit that wants to please God. Somebody say, amen. And you have a sinful nature that wants to do what it wants to do. Somebody say, yes, I do. Anybody get the struggle between the two natures? Of course you do, right? And here's the Bible says, those two natures hate each other. And guess what? They live in the same place. That don't make no sense. Why would God place his spirit in here? Because here's the thing. If you love something, something has to be sacrificed. If you love Jesus, say amen. And the Bible says, out of love, out of love, agape, that word means not unconditionally. It means sacrificially, which means if you love Jesus, something needs to thuo. Something needs to be killed. Guess what we should be killing every day, church? Our sinful nature. And Paul says, those things are obvious. Check it out. You don't, you, you don't need to wonder what that looks like. Paul says, here, here are the things of the flesh, right? Bring the next verse back up, right? The acts of the sinful nature, that other nature that you're fighting, he says they're obvious. Listen, let's not pretend that, that we don't know what we know. If you're in here online and land and you're living in your sinful nature, nobody needs to tell it to you. You know it, right? You don't need somebody showing up your house and going, hey, can we talk about things that are really obvious in your life? Right? No, 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 no. We play dumb like that's what's going on. No, 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 no. Let's be clear. You know, and I know what our other nature wants to do. Right? Sexual immorality. Right? Impurity. Debauchery. Right? Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Hatred. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, right? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Any questions? He says, those are the acts of the sinful nature and things like it. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that people who live like this, and this is their goal, those people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. So listen, here's the thing. If you love Jesus, right? If you love Jesus and understand love requires sacrifice, say amen. The Bible says the thing that needs to be sacrificed is your sinful nature. And the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So church, how are we doing? How are you doing? How are you doing with that sacrifice thing? And how are you doing with your two natures? Because listen, here, right now, in this space, if you're here in the land online, listen, it's all love, it's all praise, it's all spirit-controlled nature. But in about nine minutes, I'm going to be done. And you're going to leave. And guess what? You're going to walk into a world where you get to fight your two natures. And here's what, here's what's going to be known. What's going to be known is, did you stop in Beersheba to build an altar and call on the name of the Lord? Or did you stop at Beersheba to offer a sacrifice of sacrifices? Because at the end of the day, it does make a difference. Because at the end of the day, the reason that we know that Jesus loved us is he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice well pleasing to God. Listen, your nature and my nature, they're not very good. But the Bible says the other nature, the fruit of the spirit, that spirit controlled nature, it's obvious too. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? You see how those two natures are in complete conflict with each other? Listen, the goal, the goal of your faith and my faith is to learn how to live sacrificially in our love, not just for each other, but first and foremost to him. Because what does the Bible say? The greatest commandment is to what? Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what love requires? Something's got to die. Something's got to be sacrificed. And when it comes to you, when it comes to me, when it comes to you, and when it comes to me, the thing that we sacrificed is our sinful nature. Here's the way Peter said it in Second Peter 2, right? Second Peter chapter 2, right? Verses 1, chapter 1, 3, and 4. God's divine power has given us everything. Somebody say everything. Everything we need to do this. Everything you need. Everything you and I need to live a life that God wants us to live. He's given us everything through and everything we need for life and to live a godly life through the knowledge of him. Who the Bible says called us by his own glory and goodness. We got everything we need to do it right. Listen to this. He says through these, through all of those things that God's given us, he's given us great and precious promises so that through those promises, we may what participate in. In that divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by our lust. Listen, sometimes it's not easy to preach because the thing that God asks you to preach, he makes you take a look at in the mirror first and foremost. Right? Listen, 40 years of following Jesus, it hasn't, it hasn't always been very pretty. Because there's been times I said I have loved Jesus and I haven't brought anything to sacrifice. I just brought my words. I don't want that to be the case for the rest of my life. I want my life to be lived not just with, I love you, Jesus, but with the sacrifice of sacrifices. It's the same thing that God's calling for all of us. Listen, you're, you're, you're watching what's happening in Israel. You're watching what's happening over in the Middle East. And many of you are in complete agreement that those things that are happening are signs that the world is coming to an end. Yes or no? Listen, if that's the thing... And you want to be the one screaming from the rooftops. I told you, pay attention. It's coming to an end. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be stopping in Beersheba more often. You need to start offering some sacrifices of sacrifices. We've got enough altars built in this country. We start, <laughs> what we need are fathers and husbands and mothers and wives, grandparents. We need students that are willing to sacrifice as opposed to calling from an altar. We don't need any more churches. What we need are more Christians who are willing to sacrifice sacrifices. Jacob stopped at Beersheba. He had a reality check and he realized that something needed to die. And what God made clear to him was, Jacob, you need to die so Israel can live. Listen, if that's you today and you don't know Jesus, you never experienced Jesus, you didn't know that he appeared for God on your behalf, listen, we're not going to let you leave without making that offer, right? Accepting Jesus is incredibly simple. We want to help you with that process. If you're online, push that button that says, I have decided. It'll take you to a form. Fill it out really quick. It'll take you to Pastor John and his team. If you're in Deland, listen, up front, Pastor Ryan will be there. He and his team would love to walk you through that process. If you're here in Ormond, up front, there will be people. Look at that. I'm closing and my alarm goes off. How about that, right? 
Somebody emailed me after, I don't know, a few weeks ago and told me that that they get frustrated with me because they feel like I just intentionally make the service last long, right? And I, you know, I took that serious. So I want to, I want to work at that, right? Because I love you, which means I'm going to sacrifice because if it was up to me, we would just stay here until the 30 group showed up. Okay. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God has given me another nature to combat my sinful nature. How about you church? Let's learn that what the world need is, is it, is it more people that are like chicken little screaming that the world's coming to an end? What the world needs are people that are willing to climb on that altar and sacrifice something so that people will know that Jesus is real. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love for us, for your care for us, for your concern for us. I'm grateful more than anything. <laughs> Not for the knowledge of the two natures and the admonition the sacrifice. I'm grateful more than anything, Father, that your grace is greater than all my sin. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to understand that it's the knowledge of that grace that motivates us to learn how to say no more often. Father, I know that this room is filled, the land is filled, online is filled with people who love you. And so, Father, my prayer is for our church to learn that love requires sacrifice. Nobody needs to build an altar. There's plenty of them built. We just need to learn what to put on it. So grant us success in fighting our sinful nature. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.